change, yeah, I know it's gonna be okay, okay. It doesn't scare me, it's temporary, there's something better, we got forever. Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. Oh, my soul is satisfied in you. There's not a single battle I can lose. You're breaking every chain. Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome to you all. Glad to have you with us here today. Uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us worshiping the Lord today. Uh, as we begin our time together, I want to read a scripture to us. Psalm 1846. Psalm 1846 says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted 
be the God of my salvation. I want to encourage you this morning as we worship together. We are able to worship and, 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 and sing to the Lord and praise the Lord, lift our voices to the Lord and trust the Lord because He is alive. We don't serve some distant far off force. We're not just trying to be good so we can make some future heaven, but we have a relationship with a real living God. And the scriptures say that that God, He is our rock and He is the one who is exalted as our salvation. So I want to encourage you this morning as you sing and as you worship, you worship today the living God who is your rock, who is your strength, who is the source of your salvation. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you, God, that you call us to worship. We thank you, God, that you are worthy of our worship. We thank you, God, that you are indeed alive. We thank you, God, that you are our rock and that we exalt you high because you and you alone are our salvation. So I pray, God, all over this room today, Lord God, that we will see you as our source of strength, you as our source of hope, you as our strength. We lift our voices high and praise you because you are worthy. This is who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand, guys. Let's worship the Lord together. Yes. Good morning, church. I want to invite you to join us. We sing and we celebrate the work of Christ in our lives. The holy of holy and the King of kings is worthy to be praised.
sing these things, church. We sing of a holy God, a righteous God, a risen Savior. I love how the author of Hebrews puts it. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That, that word literally means there is no difference between the Father and the Son. That's not that he's kind of similar. You know, it's not that he has certain attributes, that he is the exact imprint. You can't tell them apart because there is no difference. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And the truth is that the reason we sing is because this God that we serve the creator of all the universe, church, he desires one thing from us, our hearts. He doesn't desire deeds. He doesn't desire money. He doesn't desire time. He desires our hearts first because he knows if our hearts submit to him first, all those other things will follow, you know. We turn not because we shouldn't do these things. We turn because there's a greater treasure, and his name is Christ Jesus. And so my encouragement for you and for me is that as we sing these things, as we sing these things of God, as we pray, as we hear Pastor Brad preach, that we see the glory of Christ, and we say, yes, I want that. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts in ways that we can't do that you would ignite our hearts, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Let's lift up the name of Christ in all his glory. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy. 
is on healing from abuse. I was abused physically by people who should have loved me, but they loved me in their way, generation curses of abuse. I grew up feeling unwanted, unloved, undeserving, not worthy. But my God, he has told me and shown me what true love is. To know that I was physically abused and to know that Jesus physically died on the cross, got nailed to a tree for me, for my sins. Ungrateful for my past. Ungrateful that I was able to experience such a hardship because now I get to live in victory, giving him all the glory and praise. My name is Gail Lasseter and this is my God story. Oh, amen. As we continue our time here this morning, I want us to take a little bit of time to pray together. Uh, and, and I want to focus, um, as, we, as, we, as we spend a little time in prayer, I want to read a scripture to you and let that kind of be a guide for us. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Here's, here's what it said. And I love little nugget verses, like you read a book, a book of the Bible, and it's almost, it feels at first sort of like a weird tacked-on thing, but it really has a profound truth in it. Colossians chapter 4, 12 and 13, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Listen to this. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayer that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. So you have this guy Epaphras, and Paul is writing this. And Paul is, um, uh, so he's from Colossus, uh, Colossus where, where, where this letter is going to, Colossae, and, and uh um, he's writing, hey, don't forget Epaphras. He's worked really, really, really hard for you. And I want you to see how did he work hard? Did he work hard in speaking? Did he work hard in organizing? Did he work hard in hands-on serving? He worked hard in how? Praying for them. He prayed for them diligently. He says he struggled in prayer. Let's just be... You ever want something so bad for someone and you're praying for them and it feels like you're literally fighting for it in prayer, right? This is, the Bible uses this language, struggling. He's struggling on your behalf in prayer so that you can stand mature and fully assured of all the will of God. I want to encourage you uh, this morning, whoever it is that you're praying for, whatever it is that you're praying for, the primary work is going to be in you praying, not you talking to them. Praying for them, not talking to them. Praying for them, not lecturing them. Um, so I don't know everyone in the room, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a wild guess. 
that no one here in this room, your middle name is Holy Spirit. Just gonna get, I know people like using Bible names. I'm going to assume that's not one that you've been using. You pray and you let the Spirit of God do what He does. And if anything's going to happen in that person, it's because God's Spirit does that work, not you. So you pray. You pray diligently. You pray hard. You struggle in prayer for them. Asking God to do what only God can do. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to give you, give you a minute to put that into practice. Fighting, struggling, striving, working hard in prayer for the people that you love. Take just a minute. Lift them up. Ask God to do what only He can do. You might even need to confess and repent of your tendency to step in and try to do something on God's behalf. Speed that process up a little bit for God. by your grace make us a church full of people who work hard in prayer we don't trust our own efforts we don't trust our own words we don't trust our own ability we don't get discouraged when we don't see it happening on our timetable but we work hard we struggle hard in prayer asking that you will empower those that we're praying for to be able to stand mature and fully assured of who you are and your will in their life. I pray that we'll be a praying people. More than we're lecturing people, more than we're social media posting people, more than we're uh, any of those things, we're a praying people, believing that you work in that and that you're going to accomplish great and mighty things for Make us, men and women, like Epaphras, struggling in prayer for those we love. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find Genesis chapter 12 together, okay? Genesis chapter 12. So uh, we're continuing our series today. We're calling The Story. And uh, in this series, we're taking about 12 weeks. We've already knocked off a couple. So we've um, got about, counting this one, about 10 left. Where we're going through the big story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, covering the whole story of the Bible. And in this series, we've got our big idea. And our big idea is this. The Bible is not a road map for your life. The Bible is a neon sign pointing to Jesus. And as you trust in Him, He changes your life. And it's important that we understand the distinction there. The, the Bible, it's not about you and about you getting good information or about you getting good ideas for how to change your life or live your life. The Bible is ultimately about God and God alone. And so as you see the Bible as this, as, as God's revelation pointing you to Him, then by His grace you're empowered to be changed as you trust by faith in Him. 
Uh, as we began our series a few weeks ago, we were introduced to our main character of the story, God. Right? And we see God alone. We talked about how the fact that the Bible is first and foremost, again, ultimately about God. It's a story about God. And so we see God alone in authority and glory and power and honor and worth. But in that, then he begins to create. Right? He creates the universe. He creates the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve have this perfect relationship with him. They have perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with creation. All is right with the world. But then you change the page from Genesis chapter 2 to Genesis chapter 3, and things go bad. Right? We're introduced now to the villain in the story, Satan. And Satan tempts Adam and Eve to rebel against God, to pursue their desires in their own way and not go after the Lord. And as they did this, as they rebelled against God, following after Satan and his ways, we experienced what's called the fall. So now the relationship with God is broken. The relationship with one another is broken. The relationship with creation is broken. And that's exactly what you and I experience today. You're born into that curse, that fall, where the relationship with you and God is broken broken and the relationship between you and other people gets splintered and your relationship with just this creation is broken and nothing seems to work right and the reason for that we saw in Genesis 3 is sin and then as it keeps on going things get from bad to worse Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden they have two sons Cain and Abel and if you know the story in Genesis chapter 4 God comes to Cain and says, Cain, I'm sensing something in your heart, man. Sin is crouching out the door. It's going to eat you. It's going to devour you. It's going to destroy you. You've got to resist this. But Cain doesn't, does he? He hardens his heart to God. He gives in to the temptation to sin. And he kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. And then things get even worse. You jump to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, it's going to tell us that in, in verse 5, now... The Lord looked at the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. From Genesis 2, loving God, loving each other, life is perfect. It took four chapters for everything to go crazy. Now, every intention of their heart was just evil continually. And so what does God do in Genesis chapters Six, seven, eight, and nine, what does he do? He brings a flood of judgment on the earth, killing everyone and everything except for Noah, his wife, their sons, their wives, and then the two of every kind of animal. After the flood, they come off the ark. Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives are, are tasked with now repopulating the earth, right? And that takes a long time, I can only imagine. And so that's happening. And then from there to Genesis chapter 11, you think, well, surely, if, if the people now know all of humanity was wiped out because of your sin. Like, God killed everybody because of sin. So maybe we shouldn't sin. Right? Right? You think, okay, so sin, bad. Let's don't do that. However, what we're going to see is just because you know something is bad and something's going to kill you doesn't stop you from doing it, right? Every person in this room has at least one thing in your life you know you shouldn't do, but man, you do it. 
And so Genesis chapter 11, all of humanity now combines in joint rebellion against God at the Tower of Babel. And what you see in the Tower of Babel is they're building up this tower. And what they say is, we're going to build this tower so that we can be great. It's the same sin as Eve. Eve, the sin, the temptation was, eat the fruit so you can be wise like God. The people of Babel, let's build a tower so we can be great like God. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves. We don't need God. I know my own way. We don't need God. I've got this. Aren't you so glad humanity isn't like that anymore? So good. So what does God do? God comes down. I love the fact they're trying to build this great tower, but their great power that they can do is so small, God has to come down to it. So God comes down, judges them by confusing their language and divides up humanity. The point of Genesis 3 through 11 is this. Listen to me. Here's the whole point. you got to understand Genesis 3 through 11 to get the entire rest of the Bible. Genesis 3 through 11, the big idea is this. Humanity just keeps sinning. We keep sinning over and over and over and over. We keep doing things and God judges and we go, oh, that's bad. I better not do that again. And you do it again. You keep sinning. It's a cycle of sin and rebellion and sin and rebellion and sin and rebellion. The God created humanity and his humanity is trapped in this cycle of sin and rebellion and consequence and guilt. And I'll never do it again. And then you do it again. And there's more guilt and more consequence. And it just keeps going. It's almost as if, track with this, you need a savior. It's almost as if, listen to me, you can't fix you. This is the whole point. Genesis 3 through 11 is trying to set the stage. Humanity is trapped in rebellion against God, and they can't get out. So the rest of the Bible is seeking to answer the question, what's God going to do about that? His humanity is trapped in sin and rebellion. They can't get out. What's God going to do? And this is where we pick the story up. He gave us a little bit of a, of a, of a hint in this. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, Genesis 3.15. I'll read it for you. Genesis 3.15, as he was pronouncing these judgments on everyone, he says, I will put enmity between, he's talking to Satan. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman Eve. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. So what God is telling us in Genesis 3 is, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a son be born. And this son is not going to be like every other son. This kid's going to be different. This is going to be a curse-stopping, Satan-crushing warrior king. I'm bringing a son who's going to make right everything that these people have made wrong. I'm going to bring a son onto this earth that's going to finally redeem my people and set this right. That's the point. So then we see that start to get picked up in Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 12, let's pick up the story. In Genesis 12, we're introduced to a man from Ur of the Chaldeans named Abram. Later on, his name is going to be changed to Abraham. And something really cool happens here. Genesis Chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promises here uh, two main things to Abram. Descendants and land. All right, so one, descendants. I'm going to give you descendants. Your descendants are going to be great. They're gonna, he tells them later on they're going to outnumber the stars. They're going to be great. Kings are going to come from your descendants. You're going to have a great and glorious name. Second, land. Right, I'm going to give you a land, which is interesting because in verse 1 here, a part of this calling is him leaving his land. Go away from your country to a land I'm going to give you. And he's calling them to the land of Canaan, what we're going to be known later as the promised land and the rest of the old testament and quite honestly a lot of just human history since then has revolved around that little plot of land right you start to see how it all comes together like whoa this is a thing that's happening the story is unfolding but here's the thing though so god is setting into motion his plan to bring about the birth of a satan crushing, curse-ending warrior king. But there are a couple of problems. Um, the dude that he picked to do this, Abram, a couple of issues. Number one, Abram is not a follower of God at this point. He comes from a group of people that are idol-worshiping pagans. He's not a follower of the God of the Bible. In, in our vernacular, we would not call him a Christian. He, he almost, in Genesis chapter 11, just kind of pops up out of nowhere. Just like, boom, there's this guy, Abram. Right, I'm going to use that guy. You mean that, the, the idol worshiper in Ur? Yep, I'm going to use that guy. Second problem is this. Again, what he said is, I'm going to give you many, many, many descendants. Problem, Abram is old. Like, really, really, really old. Like, God said, let there be light, and Abram said, let me grab the switch for you. Right? Old. Second, his wife is really old too. And they don't have kids. And his wife is barren. And the prospects of them having kids aren't great. So God is setting into motion his plan to bring about the birth of this Satan-crushing, curse-ending, warrior, victorious, savior, messiah, king. And he chooses to do that by picking an old, childless idol worshiper not not a first round draft pick right not not like if you're if you're just like gaming this thing out not the guy you're picking but god picks him it, and this whole thing feels a little crazy in fact it even starts to feel crazy for abram so if you're in chapter 12 jump over to chapter 15 just should be a page or two over if you have your Bible. Genesis 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. 
And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is starting to sound kooky for Abram. Abram's like, okay, I know I heard an audible voice, and God told me these things, but I'm starting to feel like I'm crazy. Like, God, is this actually going to happen? Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, this is a money verse for us. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham starts to doubt, but God restates his promise. Abraham and Sarah will have a son and their descendants from that son are going to be great. And what is Abraham's response to this in, in, in chapter 15? It's interesting. We don't see Abraham talking at all in verse 15 after God talks. What does Abraham do? He just trusts God. Okay, God, you said you're going to do this. I trust you. So from here, here's what I'd like to do. I want to point out a few things about this relationship between God and Abraham, this covenant that's happening. So it, it, uh, in theological terms, it would be called the Abrahamic covenant, this relationship, this, this, this choosing of God for Abraham. I want to point out a few things about this that helps move the story along in the Bible and also connects to our story with God as well. All right, so a few things. Number one is this. God's promise was based on himself, not Abraham. All right? God's promise was based on himself, not Abraham. Um, so when God promised to give this uh, land to Abram there in, in verse, uh, chapter 15, if you were to keep on reading, we're not for time's sake, but you can go back and, 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 and read through this. They have this covenant. And, and, and to show the, 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 the sincerity and, and, and the commitment that God has for this covenant, what happens, and this is oftentimes what they would did, do in these kind of covenants, they take animals, they'd sacrifice them, they cut them in half, and they put two halves on either side, right? So imagine, like, we set this thing up where you have an animal, you cut it in half, boom, cut it in half, boom. And so these animals are cut in half and laid down. A- and you walk through those animals, what they would do if they are making a covenant, they'd walk through the animals together side by side. And as it's saying, if I break my part of the covenant, may this happen to me. And the person's walking beside you saying also, if I break my half of the covenant, may this happen to me. Right? So they walk through these halved animals together as a sign to each other and a sign to God. I'm setting myself as a commitment to this covenant. And if I break this covenant, may I be cut in half as well. Which is a pretty good incentive to do your deal. Right? I don't want to be cut in half. But something interesting happens in chapter 15. Here's what God does. God puts Abraham to sleep. And in his sleep, God comes to Abraham in this smoking pot and fire. And in his sleep, what Abraham sees, as Abraham is passed out unconscious of sleep, he sees God by himself passing through these halved animals, as if saying, I'm going to keep up this covenant whether you do or not. I'm responsible for this covenant. I'm making this covenant by my own authority, by my name, for my glory. This covenant was not so much about Abraham as much as it really was about God. Theologians call this a unilateral covenant. God makes his promise to Abraham to use him and bless the world through him. This is God's decision, and he's going to uphold this covenant no matter what happens. 
God is doing it. And Abraham's only response is there in verse 6 again. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God is saying, I'm going to do this, Abraham, through you, in you, for you. I'm doing the work. I'm coming to you. I'm calling you. I'm making you great. I'm putting a child through you and your wife. I'm doing this. And all Abraham does in response to that is just trust God. And this is exactly how God works with me. God does not come to you because you're worthy. God does not come to you because you're excellent. God does not come to you because you would be great for his kingdom. God comes to you calling you into a covenant relationship with him just out of his own glory and out of an overflow of his grace. And your response to that is just to say, yes and amen, God, I trust you. Isn't that great? Some of you are struggling with your walk with the Lord because you see this as you having to, to do something and you have you know, prove myself worthy of this. God's like, no, I'm doing this. This isn't about you. This is about me. And as you see the glory of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the majesty of God, you're drawn to him when you trust him and you say, yes, God, I believe what you've said about me is true. Even though I can't see it, even though I can't feel it, does Abraham feel like he's going to have a kid? No, he doubts. But he believes God. Even when his flesh cries out for him to doubt, Abram trusts God. Because God said, I swear to you by my name, I'm going to do this. And this is how his relationship works with me. When you, feel, when you don't feel it in your flesh, when you don't feel it well and up, when you feel like it's not working for me, when you feel like this isn't happening, when you feel like I'm never going to get it, it's not about what you think about you. It's about what God has said about you. And God told Abram, I'm going to do this. Trust me. And Abram's only response was to believe and have faith in God. And that faith is what made him righteous. Not his acts. Not his works, not what he can bring to the table, just as faith made him right. Same with you and I. Our faith in Christ is what makes us right. Second thing I want you to see is God was always faithful to Abraham and Sarah, even when they were not faithful to him. So if you've read the story, read Genesis, you read the story of Abraham and Sarah, um, Abraham and Sarah... Uh, are they perfect? No. They make a lot of mistakes. A Abraham, twice, not once, twice. Once in Genesis 12 and again in Genesis 20. So evidently Sarah, Abraham's wife, was a looker. Evidently she, she was a good-looking lady. Because on two occasions they're traveling through a country and Abraham looks at his wife and says, look, let's just be honest, you are, you are way out of my league. Like, you're hot, I'm not. I way outpunted my coverage. I don't know why you're married to me. Thankfully, we had a family arrangement. You didn't have any options. Thankfully. Um, so we're going to go into this country. These guys are going to like you. And, and they're going to want you for themselves. So if you'd be so kind as to just tell them that you're my sister so that they won't kill me and take you. So on two different occasions, once Pharaoh in Genesis 12, uh, second time in Genesis 20 with King Abimelech of uh, Gerar, twice Abraham gives his wife to another man so that he won't get hurt. Gentlemen, 
not a good move. Right? Not, wouldn't recommend it. Right? First time, okay. Can you imagine the camel ride home after the second time? Right? Sarah's like, I can't believe you did it again. Oh, I thought he was going to kill me. Sarah, she's no better. Genesis chapter 16, what did we see with Sarah? She's doubting God. She's doubting the call of God. She's doubting the promise of God. So she gives Hagar her handmaid to Abraham to be a wife. Take Hagar as your wife. Have a baby with her. And then I'll kind of count that baby as my own. Right? So you have Abraham giving Sarah away to other men. And you have Sarah giving Abraham away to other women. Not These two are not doing a marriage retreat weekend for us. right? We are not calling them in to lead anything. These are not going to be journey group leaders for us. They've got issues, man. They struggle hard. But what I want you to see is even though Abraham and Sarah are not consistently faithful to God, God is consistently faithful to them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God remains faithful to you, not because you're great. God remains faithful to you because he is great. And we need to hear this, right? Because again, so just like with Abraham, God comes to us and he calls us completely out of any worth of our own. And our response is just faith. Just thank you, God, for calling me. Thank you, God, for wooing me. Thank you for desiring a relationship with me. I believe you. I trust you. But again, listen, you came to faith in Christ. You entered into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. But have you been perfect since that point? Thank you. just like Abraham and Sarah again it's so easy to point out people in the Bible and go I can't believe they did that I would never do that you're right because there is nothing in your life that you've consistently kept doing even though you promised to God a thousand times you'd stop that's right that's never happened to you but God even when we are faithless to him he is faithful to us because he can't deny who he is and who you are doesn't change who God is. Just because you might struggle here and struggle there, it doesn't change God and his faithfulness. So God remains faithful to Abraham and Sarah throughout the whole thing. And then it culminates with this. God kept his promise. And a miracle child was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. Genesis chapter 21 the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. God kept his promise and he still does. God was faithful and he still is. And I want you to notice that there's roughly, now, the, the numbers can get a little skewed, and so we aren't entirely sure, but, but there could be upwards of about 25 years between when Abraham was promised a son and when Isaac was actually born. 
25 years. That's a long time. God could have done it immediately. God could have come to Abram there in Genesis chapter 12, promised this to him, immediately given Sarah the child, and boom, there it is. He could have done that, but he waits 25 years. Why is that? I believe it's because God doesn't just want to do something through Abraham and Sarah. God wants to do something in Abraham and Sarah. And the way he does that in them is the same way he does it in us. He wants you to have faith and trust him. You Grow in the Lord as you grow in your ability to trust the Lord. And you grow in your ability to trust the Lord in the times you have to wait on Him. Look, I love the times where I prayed for something and God immediately did it. That's happened. I've seen that. I praise God for those times in my life where I prayed for X and then boom, like literally before I say amen, the phone rings and there it is. That's happened and I love that. And I praise God for those times and that encourages me and emboldens my faith. It absolutely does. But what's really allowed me to take massive steps in my walk with the Lord are the times where God didn't do it that way, and I had to wait and trust Him. That's where you really see growth. And you see that in Abraham and Sarah. We've already, again, we just talked about the fact that, are they perfect? No. Do they sin? Yes. Do they fail? Yes. Do they doubt God? Yes. But in the midst of all that, God is still doing something in them. He's stirring something in them. He's making them better Abraham and Sarah. And we see the evidence of this in Genesis 22, verse 1. So God gives Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. And in Genesis 22, God then tells Abraham to do something really astonishing. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And as you read Genesis 22, what you see is Abraham immediately obeys him. He takes his son to the top of the mountain. And moments before sacrificing his son, God stops Abraham through an angel who points out a ram caught in the thicket. They take the ram and they use that now for a sacrifice. Look at how Abraham's faith has grown. Do you think 25 years before that, Abraham would have taken Isaac up on top of that mountain and sacrificed him? No way. He's too busy giving his wife away to other guys and sleeping with the help. Right? I mean, not exactly a giant of faith. But in that 25 years of waiting, Abraham became so... He, he grew so much in trust in God. The book of Hebrews tells us, uh, gives us a little bit of an insight into Abraham's thinking. Hebrews tells us that Abraham so trusted God that if he killed him that day, he believed God would raise him from the dead. He just, it came to a point in Abraham's life where it's just, I trust God implicitly. Whatever. Yes, God. Yes, it's all yours. I trust you entirely. You tell me to do X, I'll do X. You tell me not to do Y, I will not do Y. I don't have to know the reason, the rationale. I'm not asking questions. You say this, I do that. I trust you. That was built up in Abraham over time of having to trust God. And you may be in a very similar situation where you're just having to trust God. I want to encourage you to, to lean into that. Trust matters, just like Abraham did. Trust 
God and that he has not wavered from his promise. You are his child. He loves you. The Gospel of John says no one, not even you, can snatch you out of his hand. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is there. Trust him. Trust him. The big idea in all of this, again, is that God is the great hero. God is the great hero seeking to deliver his people from their sin. In everything we've seen in the story of Abraham, God is the one doing the work. Right? So let's think about it. God is the one who called Abraham when he was just an old, childless idol worshiper. God is the one who promised that he would make Abraham great and his descendants great and give them something that they could never earn for themselves. God is the one who made a covenant with Abraham and promised that he alone would fulfill the requirements of the covenant because he knew Abraham never could. God was the one who remained faithful to Abraham and Sarah even when they were consistently faithless to him. God was the one who miraculously caused Abraham and Sarah to have a child in their own age, fulfilling the promise that he had given to them. God is the hero. Even though this is a story about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and as you go through the rest of Genesis, you're going to get Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's sons and Joseph. You're going to see all of that, even though it's, yes, it's a story about their lives. Ultimately, this is a story about God. It's a story about God. And the main point of this is that God is seeking to glorify himself by redeeming his people. And God chose Abraham and his family to be the line through which Jesus the Savior would come. So the story of Abraham is really the story of Jesus. Just like God told Abraham to leave his home and go to another land. Jesus was told to leave his home of heaven and come to earth to save his people. Just like Abraham had to walk up Mount Moriah to offer his son to be a sacrifice, Jesus walked up Mount Calvary to be the sacrifice for our sins. And as you look back at Genesis chapter 22, you have Abraham and Isaac there, and Isaac is bound up and lying on the altar, and the father is over him about to plunge a knife into his chest. In that story, you and I are Isaac. We're bound up in our sin, and the Father has no choice but to bring punishment on us for our sin. We deserve the death. We're bound up. We can't get out. The knife is moments from plunging into our chest, and it would be rightfully deserved. But at the last moment, a sacrifice is provided for you. You deserved it. But a sacrifice is there. And Jesus is that ram that allows the Father to now unwrap you from your sin place Jesus on the altar that was built for you sacrifice him so that you can live this is the point of Abraham Jesus Jesus is the hero Jesus is the victor Jesus is your savior and the point of Abraham is Jesus This is why I tell you every week in this series, the point of the Bible is not to be just a roadmap for your life. It's easy to look at the story of Abraham and think things like, well, Abraham left his country, so that must mean God's telling us to move. Abraham sacrificed Isaac, so there must be some big thing God wants me to give up. That might be true, and that might be an ancillary thing that God wants to show you, but that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is Jesus Christ. The hero, the Satan crusher, the curse ender is coming. 
He's coming and he came through Abraham and his line. And he came so that you can be freed from the curse that's rightfully on your head. So that you can be set free from the sin that's wrapped up your heart. So that you can be made new. This is the point of Abraham. So I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they do, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts. What does this mean for you? How does this all come together in your heart? Number one is this. God came to Abraham when he was completely unworthy and pursued a relationship with him. Likewise, God comes to you when you are completely unworthy and pursues a relationship with you through Jesus. Just like God is the great hero of the Bible, God is the great hero of your life. And God comes to you, even though you're totally unworthy, desires to come into your life, to set you right, and make you new. God promised to give Abraham something that he could never work up on his own. Likewise, God promises to give you something you can never work up on your own. New life in Jesus. The Gospel of John says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't work up a relationship with Christ on your own. God comes to give you that by grace through faith and nothing else. God was faithful to Abraham even when he failed. Likewise, God is faithful to you even when you fail. Covering you with the grace of Jesus. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The righteous fall seven times but rise again. God covers you with grace even though you fail, even though you struggle, even though you falter. God covers you with grace. And then last, God's relationship with Abraham was based entirely on faith. Likewise, God's relationship with you is based entirely on faith. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. Just think about this just for a moment. can only enter into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. We saw that in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 where it says that, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Well in Romans chapter 4 it, it piggybacks off that. Romans 4 23 says the words it was counted to him, looking back at Genesis 15, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham had to trust by faith in a Messiah even though he lived 4,000 years before Jesus ever came to earth. And you must trust by faith in Jesus as the Messiah, even though you now live 2,000 years after he came to earth. It's about faith in Christ. Faith in Christ and Christ alone is what gives you salvation, gives you new life. This is the whole point of Abraham. This is what God is trying to unpack for us. Genesis 3 through 11, you are trapped in sin. You need a Savior. God picks an old childless idol worshiper to be the one that a child will miraculously come through 
and a line will be started, and eventually the Savior will come. And you must trust by faith in that Savior if you're going to get set free from the sin that's bound up in your heart. So today, when you trust by faith in Jesus, you see Jesus as your only Savior, your only hope, you trust by faith in Christ, Today you can say, Jesus, I know that you came, you died, and you rose again. Jesus, I know that I am bound up in sin, and I can't get myself out. I need you. Jesus, set me free. I give my life to you. I trust you. Do this in me. As we end our time here today, we're going to do it a little differently. I'm not going to have you stand and sing. We're instead just going to kind of sit and ponder and reflect as our band sings. And just take some time this morning and pray. You're welcome to still come up front and pray at the altar if you'd like. Grab someone to pray with you. You're more than welcome to do that. Just take some time here this morning and ponder. Just like God pursued Abraham, God pursues you. Just like God was faithful to Abraham, God is faithful to you. Just like it had to be by faith for Abraham, it has to be by faith for you. Trust God and let him remain true and promise to make you more and more and more to the image of Jesus. Lord God, do this work in us. We love you. We trust you. We pray this in your name. Yeah.
If you'd like to talk with someone after service about the freedom that we have in Christ, how God pursues you just like he pursued Abraham and calls you to faith in him through Christ just like Abraham, we'd love to talk with you afterwards. We'll be down front here. Please come up and say hi. Uh, we'd love to answer whatever question you can, you have, we have and we can for you and pray it anyway if we can. Uh, but for uh, our guests here today, welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for being with us today. If you are a guest, if you'd be so kind as to simply just grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen, 910-424-1298. Just so we know that you are here and uh, we can connect with you, pray for you. We would love that. Uh, but for everyone, we've got our three big announcements we want everyone to know about. What's going on here at Southview and how you can be plugged in and connected. Uh, first, for families, we got some family announcements. Uh, Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is coming up here in June. Uh, you can sign your kids up by texting VBS to our number, 910-424-1298. Second, graduation Sunday. If you or your child is graduating high school, college, grad school, whatever, we'd love to recognize them June 5th. Uh, but we need to know that. So text GRAD to our number, 910-424-1298, uh, so we can get you set up because there's some things we're going to ask from you. So make sure you do that this week, all right? Make sure you do that this week. Second, guys, uh, men, 
We've got a breakfast this Saturday. I apologize. We've been so focused on getting guys signed up for our retreat in October, which, by the way, we now have 100 guys signed up for, which is unbelievable. I was, I was praying for 50, which shows where my faith is. But we had 100 guys, very excited. But in our, in our push for that, we kind of forgot we got a breakfast on Saturday. So, guys, this Saturday, breakfast, 8 o'clock, come hang out with us. We'd love to know an idea of who we have, so you can text the word bacon to sign up for that. All right, it's going to give you a little clue as to what we're going to do. Eat a lot of bacon. So uh, uh, text bacon real quick, guys, so we know who to expect for that, so we can have plenty of bacon for you. And then last, equip classes. These classes, um, we're going to run through the summer. These are our big, uh, sort of the big ideas of the Christian faith to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. We've got three classes for you. Core Christianity 101, which answers basically what is Christianity, right? What are the big words? What are the big concepts? What are the big ideas? Help me connect the dots. That's Core Christianity 101. Going to help create a foundation for you for the faith. Second, gentle and lowly. If you feel like you're struggling in the faith, like you feel like you're wrestling, you feel like you, you know there are things you should do but aren't doing, how do I do that? Gentle and lowly. It's going to be a great class for you. And then last, how to experience new life in Christ. How do you live the Christian faith? All right, so I know the big ideas, I get all that, but how do I actually practically do it? How to live out, how to walk out, how to have and experience new life in Christ. You can text our number, uh, text EQUIP to that, 910-424-1298. You'll get a little form sent to you, tap on that. Check the class you want to be a part of, hit send, and we'll get you signed up for it, all right? For all the other announcements, everything else, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play. That'll get you plugged in and connected. You can give online there or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. All right? Let me pray for us and let you guys go. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, God, for your grace, the grace you showed Abraham and the grace you show us. I thank you, God, that you called Abraham and he just had to respond by faith. And you call us and we just respond by faith. I thank you, God, that Abraham is about Jesus. And, Lord, that means our life as well is ultimately about Jesus and how you desire to see us be changed through faith in Jesus. I pray, God, that as we see him and worship him and glorify him, we're drawn more to him and are changed more and more into his image. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Jesus, we pray this in your name, our Savior and King the great serpent, Satan crusher, and curse ender. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week. Have you ever thought that the one is kind of lost this way? Yeah. Crazy as it seems, yeah, I know it's gonna be okay.